Welcome to the Jasmine Star Show, a place that you can expect all things business, life, marketing, and today, a deep dive on hiring, training, and retaining high-performing team members. Y'all, I've already started. Prior to us starting the record, I told this queen, Natalie Dawson, that this podcast is for me. And if other people happen to be listening, I'm here for it. So please prepare your hearts for a phenomenal conversation with the one, the brilliant and powerhouse, Natalie Dawson. Natalie, thank you for being on the Jasmine Star Show and welcome. I am so excited. The moment just right before this show, I just have to say I'm geeking out on the fact that I get to talk to you, spend time with you because I've been a longtime fan of yours after seeing you speak at an event gosh, almost four years ago, three or four years no. ago. I think you are so spectacular and I'm very much looking forward to this conversation. Uh, well, this is great. Now you are, I would consider everything I've, I've done some research. I've done some deep diving. Like I'm the friend when people say oh, like, oh, I can't find him on the internet. I literally like blow my fingers off. Like, let me find him. So when it comes to doing research for the podcast, I've just done a deep dive in you. And I'm really excited to bring a lot of that to the surface. But before we go there, I want to make sure that we lay the groundwork you are co-founder of Cordon Ventures, best-selling author of your book, Teamwork, How to Build a High-Performance Team. And you're also the host of a podcast, Building Billions with Natalie Dawson. So Natalie, are we going to spill the tea? Are we going to tell people what happened like two minutes before we press record? Yes. You want me to tell me? You want, you yeah, want go to- ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Because like, like set the scene, tell the story. Like what actually happens? Well, I did not read the invite on this calendar podcast show And I thought that I was interviewing you for (laughs) my podcast because I've been a fan of yours. I've had you on a list for people that I want to have on my podcast for at least two years. So I just assumed that you were coming on my show until (laughs) 15 seconds before this thing started where the team was like, no, we're on her show. I was like, what do you, she knows my name. What do you mean? She knows my name? <laughs> I had this whole thing prepped of like how I was going to introduce myself. Cause sometimes it's awkward. You know, you're like, oh, I've never met you before, but now we're going to have this deep conversation. So I was prepped. Oh my God, Natalie. I mean, but like, what does that say about my podcasting? Like chops? Like I'm like, Hey Natalie, what's up? Let's go. Let's get this party started. So maybe I was awkward or I avoided the awkwardness by like my overt awkwardness. What I said then is what I'm going to repeat now. We're just manifesting that I'm going to be on your show. So that that's it. Like that's what we're doing with, but uh, for all intents and purposes, uh, like I've, I've said to you before, the people who listen are action takers. We are business owners. And what we want to do is ultimately build a business that we're proud of, but also find a way to get really brilliant people around us who can help support the vision and do big, great things. And I know that you started leading teams. I mean, you don't look a day over 21, but what I read was you started leading pretty significant teams around the age of 20. So what were some lessons and milestones? How did you get to that point? What made you look and say, I have the capacity? What am I learning? What am I doing? At what point do you say, I need to lead a team and this is how I'm going to teach myself how to do it? Well, the opportunity just fell in my lap because I was responsible for this leadership content at the company that I was working for. And the woman that I was working for, two months into me being there, and I was actually an intern at the time, two months into me being there, she got a call from her husband who got diagnosed with terminal cancer. She had been at this company for over a decade and she had to leave like that day. And I then absorbed this leadership program all of this content building out the launch of this program. And so that kind of got my feet wet in leadership and understanding the importance of leadership and why that's tied to building teams. But because I was responsible for this leadership content, one of the things I realized is it's great to have all of this content about developing yourself and belief in yourself. 
But what I lacked once I had my first team a little less than two years later was like, okay, it's morning one of these people reporting to you. Natalie, you're 10 years, if not 20 years younger than some of these people. They do have more experience than you. How do you hold them accountable? How do you structure a one-on-one? How do you create goals and align those goals with their incentives that hit department targets? I had no clue how to do those things. And yet I had created and studied this quote-unquote leadership content. And so that experience of really doing it poorly, like I can't even... Today, I would say I'm a pretty great leader. I really developed my teams. Our teams have grown substantially. I figured out how to do what I need to do leading and developing teams. But back then I had no clue what I was doing and I failed so miserably with high turnover, with lack of results. And I was uncomfortable in the role because I knew I didn't know what I was doing. So I've spent the last five or six years figuring out how do I give business owners the tools that I didn't have when I was early on, because a lot of business owners have teams that are reporting to them and they still don't have these things in. Their business just works because they work. Their business works because they figured out a marketing funnel or a marketing strategy. They figured out how to be the best salesperson. And then they have these people reporting to them where they're accidentally leaders and not sure of how to grow the team so that the business can also grow. Oh, so good. So if you see me looking down and writing, I literally have to take notes about key takeaways. So you had said the business works because they work. Last night, I was at dinner with a group of entrepreneurs and there was a gentleman next to me. And I would probably say without exaggeration, half of our time together, he was on his phone and he kept on apologizing. But like you and I know, like when you're around entrepreneurs, I never take it personally that if you're on your phone, I get it. There are things that happen in business that you're beholden to. But he had just said everything falls back on me. Everything falls back on me. And he has like a multi-seven, almost eight-figure business. And I thought to myself, wow, what is it? What are the differences? I'm sitting at this table and there are some entrepreneurs who are even larger businesses and are less entrenched in the business. So part of the reason I wanted to have you on the show was what are like three main lessons or indicators that you have developed to say, listen, I've done a lot of work. I've done a lot of But if you're starting now and either you don't know how to build your team with efficacy or you're at the start of building your team, what are three main things that people can focus on today to say, these are my biggest lessons. These were like big dominoes that helped the rest of things fall into place. Great question. And that is the story that I hear of almost every business owner that I work with or that I'm around. It's like they feel like they are shackled to their business. They feel like if they were to take a vacation, they can't take actual time off and disconnect vacation. And so you build this job for yourself as a business owner and you didn't, you thought you were chasing freedom and it's turned into this thing that's like, it's not just a nine to five where you might've hated your previous nine to five because this is 24 seven, 365. Like it's you, this business is you. I, I view our business like our baby. So I like to break down the employee life cycle to better understand where the problems exist. So when you think about the employee life cycle, the first of three things that I would say is you have to be communicating with your prospective team members about what the real state of the business is. And most business owners, when they're interviewing people, they're using some made up criteria. They're using if they like the person, if they connect with the person in the interview process What they don't tend to do is really clearly lay out, especially that early on team, like your first 10 to 20 team members, that team should know if you are a growing business and you want to continue to grow and you're expecting that the person that you're bringing on is going to help you grow, 
you have to tell the person that. And it sounds crazy that you would have to do that because as a business owner, you're like, well, of course I want to grow my business. Maybe a handful don't, right? But for the most part, business owners want to grow their business. If you could add $10 million of revenue to your business, I have a hard time believing that every business owner would be like, nope, I'm not really interested. They're not interested because they think it's going to be really hard. But if you told your team, hey, we are going to grow and what is your expectation of growth? All of a sudden, you're at least starting the relationship on the right path. You're being transparent about, it's not just you coming in and managing existing workflows, existing customers, it's managing that. But then also, this is what we're expecting and targeting for the growth that we're looking to have. And you clarify those expectations and at least you're starting the relationship off on the right foot. Now, once you've had that interview where you've clarified that you are a goal-oriented organization, that you have these plans for expansion, when they're onboarding with you, every single thing that somebody should know about being successful in their role should be included in their onboarding plan. Most entrepreneurs spend more time interviewing somebody and the interview process, they might interview 10 candidates. They might look through 50 resumes. They're going to spend upwards of 30 hours to find one person. And yet they don't even spend 30 minutes putting together the correct materials to get that person up to speed. The person who's for certain going to join your team, they don't spend that even 30 minutes getting that person up to speed on what would allow them to be successful in their role. And so dialing in that onboarding plan, I'm not saying you spend 30 hours doing it, but you should probably spend two hours. Okay, I'm going to spend two hours writing down every single thing that person would need to know in order to be successful. And then the third thing that really has been the magic in our business, it's fixed businesses that didn't start this way. And it can fix any business or any team that's having turnover challenges, that's having performance issues. It's sitting down individually with your team members once they've been with you for at least two months. That's my criteria. Once they've been with you for two months, it's sitting down and asking them in a casual setting, could be a coffee shop, could be a lunch spot down the street from your office. What are your personal, professional, and financial goals? Because when you ask somebody what their personal, professional, and financial goals are, and you can instill in them that they're in the right place to achieve those goals... And maybe even potentially you have bigger goals and bigger visions because you see the opportunity in your own business to expand what their belief is about what's possible for them. You change the entire team dynamic. You change the entire way that that person shows up because you're having a conversation about what they want. And then as a business owner or as a leader of a team, you then get to say, okay, this is what delivering that would look like. I'm going to need you to learn this thing that you probably don't know in order for you to make that additional money that you want to make. And you just confront the conversation that is so obvious and so clearly challenging for most people, which is employees want to get paid more. Business owners want to grow. Okay. How do we align these two things? And it's awkward when you don't really know how to have a goal conversation in a workforce or in a workplace, but that's the thing. That's like the one pivotal thing that if a business owner can learn how to do that and then is clear about their goals and say, okay, you're wanting to do this. I'm wanting to do this. As a business owner, entrepreneur, you're already creative. Okay. What do you need to learn? You probably need to learn how to be a better photographer to be able to take better pictures of our products because our products online are terrible or invest in what Jasmine teaches. Jasmine, I bought your products, by the way. And like the captions for 
the Instagram posts, this is the product that I bought. This was like four years ago. I'm telling you, I've stalked you for a very long time. The product, the captions for the Instagram posts, like you have to learn how to create content and you share with the team member what they need to know and the skills that would be required for them to get paid more money. You wait for those results to happen because they have to put in that energy just because they buy Jasmine's course doesn't mean that they're going to actually implement it. They have to implement it and then they grow. And it's the most amazing thing because it teaches them how to do that at every phase inside their career, ideally with your company. Mm, Okay. So I'm going to repeat this. I'm going to repeat it back. Three main lessons that will transform any business owner as they build a team, whatever stage of inception you're in. Number one, communicate with prospective employees that you have a goal-oriented plan. It leads to transparency and it clearly lays out how they contribute to growth expectations. Two is onboarding. You are clearly explaining how they can be successful in their role, even if it is just a brain dump of what you need this person to do. And three, individual meetings in a casual setting that asks what are your personal and financial goals and it expands a belief for them on how they can step into bigger things. Did I hear that right? You just nailed that. Did you just chat GPT what I said and have hey, it? Hey, girl, no, girl. No, I am a, I am a forever student and I'm sitting wow. here and I'm listening and I'm like, we have to make sure that this is what's being, being distilled. And so on the back of all of your experience, you're sharing this so generously. And I want to make sure I'm like, do y'all understand? Like she is dropping some wisdom. So let's like distill what is actually happening here. Okay, so as you go through this, I am in the process of hiring and I feel like hiring is always a thing that we move through. And I know that you've been doing it a lot longer. You have processes. What are like a few like really powerful interview questions that when you ask this question, because what I've heard and what if I experienced, but probably not in the capacity you have, the way that somebody answers a question is a clear indication to me if they're suited for the role. And so I started asking myself, are there certain questions that I can go down and start asking? Have you come across any questions that you're like, this is a really good question that's going to get me to an answer faster? Anything along those lines? Any like, not like cheat codes, but your experience leveraged? For sure. Oh, good. Spill it. I got a lot on this. (laughs) I'm going to distill it. So I believe in a three-part interview process. In the first part, I want to understand if this person is culturally aligned with our organization. I don't even care if they can do what the role is required of them. If they've never sold anything before, but they are culturally aligned with, they have big goals. They are willing to work their tails off. They are ambitious. Like I will hire that person because they are culturally aligned. So that's the first set of criteria. And I ask that the specific question that I use is I tell them what our mission statement is. So I say at Cardo Ventures, we're here to help business owners achieve their personal, professional, and financial goals. So if you're a business out there, you would insert your mission statement to that first part of the question. So I'm telling them what we're here to do, but then I'm connecting it because they don't care what we do if it's not connected to what they do. So this is what we do. We help business owners achieve their personal, professional, financial goals. But it's important that our team members don't just see Cardone Ventures as the vehicle for clients to win, I want to make sure that you're winning. So what are your five-year professional goals? When you frame it like that to understand what their goals are, if they say something like, oh, you know, I've never really thought about it. I'm not really sure. I don't have goals. They're not the right person for us. And they're probably not the right person for you if you want to grow your business. If they don't have goals, why do you think that they're just going to magically come into your organization and be able to help you achieve your goals? It's so obvious when you think about it like that, but we just get complacent with thinking that people shouldn't have goals or maybe they shouldn't tell you about their goals. You should tell somebody you have a goal. That's the only way you achieve your goals. 
So in that cultural interview, I'm just assessing, are they the right fit for us? One of the best things that we've done that I've learned over the last three years, especially in a virtual work environment where you're interviewing people in a setting like this, it's hard to be able to tell if somebody can do the job. So the second interview is created to get the person as close to the work that they will be doing as possible. If you are hiring a graphic designer, I want you to have them in this interview, open up Canva and you show them two ads that you've created or two graphics that your company has used in the past. And I want them to create those two or recreate a third ad that would fit with these other two in a matter of 10 minutes. What's that going to show you? Can they follow instructions? Do they actually know how to use Canva or Adobe or whatever platform they're using? Oh my God, Natalie, I am dying right now. I'm dying on the inside. Okay. So there are times if somebody advances through the interview process enough that we will invite them to do an assignment. We wouldn't say it's mandated, but we invite them to do this so we can see the way they think. But what you're saying is to do it live on the call with you. Because they fake shit. Oh my God. I'm like, this is so real. Like it almost makes me so uncomfortable that I'm living for it. Okay. Let me make this really selfish. I'm hiring for an EA chief of staff. We want, well, actually hiring for an executive project manager, but their growth plan, if they tell me that they want to be a chief of staff, I'm like already in alignment. What would I do? Well, I'm like literally dying asking you this question because I'm like, I'm going to be on the call and I'm asking them like, how much is too much? Because you had said 10 minutes to create a third ad. That seems possible. But what if I'm like, hey, look at this Asana task flow, duplicate it for what it might look like in this. And I'm literally just going to sit and watch them do it. Oh my God. Have them share their screen, open their screen up. If they say that they have experience with Asana, because some people say that, oh, I have experience right. with Asana. I have it with Monday. They say like all of yes. these things. Great. You're telling me you have experience. I'm paying you for said experience. That's the exchange that's happening when you pay a team member who is saying that they've done these things. So show this me is you can so good. It. This sounds like a reality television show. And I'm like, oh my God. And so I'm assuming that you're telling them in advance that they're going to share their screen and they're going to be asked to be doing this. So it's not like surprise. No. Okay. Because what if they have right. stuff open on their like right, chat? Right, right, real uncomfortable. right. Right, right, right. <laughs> I am living for this right now. Okay, so part one, you want to be culture aligned and you're sharing your mission statement and then asking them what their five-year professional goals are to make sure that your mission statement is aligned to their mission statement and you want somebody who's goal-oriented. And then part two is to get the candidate as close to the work as possible. Yep. Oh, wow. There's a part three. Part three is... If you have core values in your business, I think every business should have core values. It's one of the biggest selling points to a high performer. A high performer in today's economy wants to know that the company that they're working for has similar values to them. They want to know that if they're a money-motivated person, money matters at this organization. If they're a socially conscious person, they want to know that that matters. A high performer cares about that. Average team members don't care. You're not looking for average team members to help you grow your business. You need high performers. So if a business owner doesn't have core values, highly recommend, strongly encourage creating core values and then use those core values in the interview. So for us, the third step of the interview process is every team member presents to the hiring manager, to our head of HR now, but this used to be me for our first 50 employees. They would present to me, to my husband, and to the rest of our leadership team, how they align with Cardo Ventures core values. And this does a couple things. The first thing out of two, first thing it does 
you're able to understand if they can speak in public and get over that fear. Nobody likes speaking in public. Like i still have not met somebody who's like, it's the greatest thing ever. I don't get nervous. There's some like, do I really want to do this? I'm going to make this presentation. If they're willing to do this, they are going to be bought into the company before they start with the company there. It's a mutual like, okay, I put time into this and I'm interested enough in this and I put effort into it. I don't want to be bad at it. Nobody likes blowing a public presentation. And then the second piece is they know who you are prior to them walking in the door. If they don't know, for us, one of our big core values is disciplined. If they don't know that we are disciplined and that we do the things that we say that we're going to do, and I just, on day five of their onboarding, when I ask them, where was your end of day report from yesterday? And they're like, oh, you know, I just like didn't send it. I'm like, well, we're disciplined around here. So you said you were going to send it. You didn't send it. I want to make sure that you send it tomorrow because it's important because I use that information to help onboard you. If they're like, whoa, this is micromanagey. They're not going to be at the right fit for us. And it's, I could defend this all day why it's not micromanaging, but it's, we do the things we say that we're going to do. If you, you said that you're going to submit it at five, I didn't say you were going to submit it at five. You said you were going to do it. Okay. I'm going to hold you accountable because that's important. So when you tell somebody who you are and you make them ensure that they know who you are as a business, you're increasing the likelihood that that person is going to be a long-term fit for where you want your business to go. Dang. I'm like dying. Okay. So let's go back because I'm making it all about me again. Part three, we do have core values. Are you saying that the person who I interview, I'm going to be asking them to create a presentation on how their core values are aligned with ours? Yes. No, how they align with your core values. How they align with the cohe. Yes. So what's one of your core values? Um, dependability. Dependability. You, say, you do what you say you're going to do. Basically discipline, but I kind of like discipline. It's a little bit sharper. We just say dependability. Like, I just need to know if you say it's here by five, it's here by 459. Yeah. I love that. So then the person in the interview, this is like a little hack for this. Cause as you try to do this, you're going to run into some potential problems. Sometimes people in a presentation, they redefine what dependability is. They're like, Oh, the definition yeah. of dependability is. And then Albert Einstein said this <laughs> thing. I don't, I, you don't need to give me a dissertation on what these things are. I want to know how you have been dependable in your life. Tell me about the time where you took your kid to the soccer practice and went awry, but you still showed up because you said that you were going to, and you made the cook, whatever it is, how are you demonstrating to me that you're dependable? Cause that's what we are. And I need to make sure that you are what we are because you're about to be us. Wow. Okay. So what percentage of people start off in part one and make it through part three? Like you put out a role, let's just say head of marketing. How many people are making it to part one? How many people make it to part three? Okay. Knowing there's only one role. Yes. Uh, well, today I would say if we have a hundred applicants for director of marketing, we're going to get... 15 interviews scheduled out of the 100 resumes for part one. Part two is probably going to have five case studies. And by that core values presentation, you're probably not having that with more than two people. 
Interesting. Okay. So this is what I like to do, Natalie. On the podcast, I really like to come in with the hook. Like, why should I care? What are you about? What's in it for me? And oftentimes what I've seen or experienced is we start with the origin story. And origin stories are really powerful. But before somebody's like bought in, like they want to know, like, what are you about? What's in it for me? Okay. So now you you just dropped some heat. Like you kind of just over-delivered. We can basically just drop the mic now and be like, thank you, ladies and gentlemen. Let's go back. How did you get here? How did you become a co-founder? So I love that you do that because I think the exact same way. And it's actually one of the things I wanted to pick your brain about because I thought that this was going to be on your podcast, on your podcast. Let's go back and do it. Because I have always had this bend in my entire life of like, I want to deliver value. Nobody cares about my story. Like they just want to know like the thing about them. But I've been told recently that people connect to the information because of the story. So I love that you... I like how you just did that. That was really nice. I just wanted to comment on that. Thank you. Thank you. Um, you know, I decided when I was 12 years old that I loved business. I picked up a book at a Barnes and Noble called The Starbucks Experience. And it fascinated me that Starbucks has green straws and that's part of their branding. And just this book walked through so many cool marketing and business tactics that forget school for a second. It just interested me outside of sports and television and you know at the time being able to text on my Nokia phone like it really it was the first thing that really captivated my attention uh as a child and both of my parents are entrepreneurs they're both medical doctors they just retired this last year so i think i had some of that growing up but i was planning on being a lawyer and i wanted to get my mba until i decided to start dating my now husband almost a decade ago and My now husband is 25 years older than me. He was running a very successful company. And I had all of these fears about, I was like smart. I got a full ride scholarship, academic scholarship to college. I was like, I'm not the girl that sells out to marry some older man. Like this is ridiculous, but I really fell in love with him. And so the last- Okay, wait, wait, time out, time out, time out. A side note, how'd you guys meet? Like, where does this happen? He's been my neighbor. I've known him since I was 12. He took my phone away when I was 12. This story is ridiculous. It's like... Wait a minute. 12 was also when you read the Starbucks book. So your life is like kismet. My life changed when I was 12. Stop. Wait a minute. Okay, so he takes your Nokia phone away, the one that you really like to text on, but obviously it started like your love affair with Howard Swaltz and Starbucks and... Okay, but how do you get... What happens? Yeah, so I started working for his company when I was 20. And I was in college still at the time. Okay, but hold on. How did you get there? Like, so you're like, your parents are like, oh, you should just. So my mom's been his doctor for 20 years. And I was in college. It was summer vacation. Previous summers, I had spent volunteering under bridges in downtown Portland with homeless people. And my mom's like, you're getting a job this summer. This is not what you're doing. So she calls Brandon, her patient. Also her neighbor and is like, Brandon, do you have any internships available at your company? Because my daughter needs to not put herself in danger in downtown Portland. Okay. So when's the last time that Brandon saw you? Is this one of those, like you went from like that awkward 12, 13 year old girl and then all of a sudden you show up and you're 20 and he's just like, whoa, Natalie's not really. Pretty much. So then what did you do for his, I mean, we're totally off topic and I'm living for it. What did you do in his company? This is the leadership development role. So I was working for his vice president of administration just to help uh, over summer while I was in college. And then her husband gets diagnosed with cancer. 
everything that she was working on was dropped. She was one of six VPs. So they had to split out the work and I was the only person who was helping her with this program. So did you go back to school? No, I dropped out of college to fall in love with a man 25 years older than me who was my neighbor and I was supposed to become a lawyer. It was like, she's lost her mind. Okay, wait a minute. So how long before you're working to, oh, there's, it's something's different here between us? Uh, Like a year. Okay, okay. Like a year, year and, and a half. Like, is he the pursuer or are you the pursuer? Uh, it was more so him for sure. I tell him this too. I was like a little creeped out. It's like, what's <laughs> this is weird. What, oh my God, Natalie, I am living for this conversation. And then one last question. What does your mom say? She cried when I told her. Okay. She bawled. Okay. Now my mother, we went to dinner with my parents last night. My parents love my husband more than they love me. I'm certain of it. But my dad wanted to shoot him with a shotgun. And my mom was just sad because this is not what she wanted for her daughter. And luckily it turned out a lot different than what it looked like it was going to turn out like when I was in my early 20s. But that was really the first time that I made a decision in my life to take control of my life. I dropped out of college. I didn't want to go to college any longer. I told my parents, no, I'm not going to do these additional years of school because I see this opportunity. And then that gave me the confidence to also have the relationship I have with him, which has been the greatest thing of my entire life. And if I wouldn't have done those two things, dropped out of school, dated a guy that I was, I was certain of, but I was so fearful of everybody else being uncertain of and judging me for it. Like if I can handle these two things, everything else is going to be a cakewalk. And that's really, it's not been a cakewalk, but it's been, that was my foundation. Good for you. I mean, I hear that and I am just like that after school special slow clap. I'm like, I'm about this trash. Like right here, those are skill sets that you develop early on that play out for you is like the minute that you could face your greatest fear, which as a, as in a healthy relationship, letting your parents down or choosing something that they don't agree with and then owning it will serve you very well in boardrooms and in press rooms and like White House to the warehouse. You say, I've made a decision and I'm like here for it. I think it's super powerful. Okay, so how then are you in Brandon's company and you're growing and you guys are start to build at some point really to do it together. And then where do you start entering a new chapter or phase in your life? Back then. Yeah. So it's like, how do you guys go from building that company to becoming co-founders for Cardinal Ventures? Yes. So I was a team member at that company. I had $3,500 in my bank account for like a very long time. It wasn't like we just started dating and he had like, there was very clear like financial separation. And that was really important to me. And he sold this company in 2016 for $151 million. And it was, that was another huge, amazing gift because I watched this smart entrepreneur achieve every financial target and every business target he, he paid out over $15 million to his team for being there. If they were there for a day or if they had been there for 10 years, he just like paid out. So the clients won because the clients also got paid out more money than their businesses were worth. In some cases, some of these business owners made $1.5 million just from being a client. It was a really cool business model. So I watched all of these people win from a business owner having this amazing idea. But then as soon as this business was sold, it was like, well, what's my purpose? And what do I do now? And fear and anxiety crippled its way in, creeped itself, crippled in, creep, whatever. Uh, girl, if it's creeping in, it's crippled too. So yeah, both. Exactly. Uh-huh. It entered. And for a year and a half, we just spent time with people who were retired, who were on golf courses, who were who had already made money and were like, uh, I'm not going to do this again. And I realized at the 
24, 25 year mark of my life that I don't want to be that person. If we failed another business, I'm okay failing at that business, but I'd rather start something new again and hit the target, but then make it bigger this time than think that we can't do it again and just do what a lot of people do, which is they achieve their dreams and they're like, okay, great, done that. Now I'm going to be retired. It's not about retiring. It's about what is your potential? I had the sticky note on my desk and I read this every single day. It says R equals P today and then a question mark. That means to me, does my reality, what today is, actually match what my potential is? And if my potential is to help people and if my potential is to empower our team, my potential is to grow this business or to write a book or to make an impact. My reality can't be I'm sitting on a beach. My reality can't be I'm just going to go shopping or eat lunch and just like have this leisure life because that's not what my potential is. My potential is to really help people. So we made that pivot in 2019, met a couple by the name of Grant and Elena Cardone, and we partnered with them and have been on a on a rocket ship ever since. So because I'm just a storyteller, but part of the reason why I want to know the story is because it betrays the grit and almost the gall that it takes to do something so different. And so we say X and people look at that and it's social validity. But what I think oftentimes is overlooked is like not the glitz and glam of what we see on the outside, but like what was that inception point? So you are introduced to Grant and Elena and then what happens? Well, my husband and I were at the most depressed point we had ever been at. And I said, we're not going to be these people who have a pointless life, who go on vacation and golf all day. We're not going to be these people. So I looked up a list of social media influencers. And while he was looking at traditional companies like private equity groups for us to go in and help clean up these businesses, I was like, well, what if we use these audiences that some social media people have? We partner with them to help grow the businesses that are in their communities. And so we had this long list of people. And I found Grant and I thought he was like the most ridiculous, obscene, like unattractive person as a business partner. It's like absolutely not cross his name off the list. And by the grace of God, by looking at Grant's account, it got me over to Elena's account. (laughs) Hallelujah. There's, there's some sanity in this world. And she was talking about just different stories that she's experienced of being the woman beside the man and what it takes to be really strong in your power while being married to somebody who's really strong, which is also the thing that I was really insecure about at the time. So I gave him a second look and became obsessed, read every single book. And we showed up to one of their events looking to see if the thing was real and if there were real business owners and there were real business owners that we could help. And they weren't currently offering things that were helping them the way that we could help them. So we pitched them. Okay, wait, wait, wait. Girl, girl, girl. I'm like, I am just like tweezing this stuff out. Where is the event? How big is it? And what was the ticket price? Because what I'm trying to do is I want a listener and myself, who am I kidding, to get into how are you thinking about this? Do we go to the large scale event to actually see like the point of entry? Are we going to the top high level possibilities of what they're actually net is at that point? Like, where are we at? Yes, we were at a 35,000 person event in Portland Stadium because we didn't know that there was a smaller event. We just saw this event that was promoted. Okay. So we went to a 35,000 person event. We paid $20,000 per ticket because we were in the front row. We wanted to be seen. We wanted to meet people. We wanted to be or everybody who we knew we needed to meet. 
were going to be, which was going to be paying whatever was required in order to be in that group of people. How many people about how many people were in that section? Were you one of five? Were you one of 50? Like I'm trying to get like scope wise. They want to be Okay. And we paid it like online. We didn't talk to a sales rep. We just saw the tickets. And I guess that doesn't really happen. We were just like, we want proximity to these people. And how do you get proximity? You pay for proximity. That's just, if the greatest mentor of your entire life is offering proximity to them, you pay for that proximity. You're not just like, can I pick your brain grant? No, you have to pay and you support their business. And you say, I'm going to throw down whatever product it is that you are selling so that I can get your attention and be a success case, which is what we had spent six months doing. I had listened to all of their content and we paid to get access. So... I'm assuming with $20,000, you're having proximity, but then also ways to talk to Grant and Elena in in that sphere of that event. Do I assume correctly? Yeah. And then at what point are you, have you already come up with an idea that you want to pitch? Are you there and you're refining the pitch? Do you pitch there at the event? What is the follow-up like? Like, what is that looking like? So we bought every product that they were selling at that event, every single one of them. And at the event, we walked up to them during a photo shoot like opportunity, you know, there's a whole line of people. And my husband and I say, what if we can add an extra billion dollars to your net worth? And of course that's like an intriguing pitch. And there was so much going on though, that it's not like you could be like, tell me more about this idea. So we knew that by buying everything that we were going to get the attention of the other salespeople that we weren't just playing around like, Oh, a billion dollar idea. It was a real worth willing to invest, but we're also interested in what this could look like in the future. So the funny thing is nothing really happened. We gave him our business card. Two weeks later, we saw that they were in Cabo and we have a house in Cabo. So we had sent our golf cart, tequila, and like floaties to the house that they were staying at in Cabo to get their attention. And then we flew down to Cabo and pitched them on the idea because we got their attention through stalking them on social media. I'm freaking obsessed with you. I'm seriously going to skin you and wear you like last year's Versace. This is incredible. Dang, that's the game. That's the game. People are accessible. And I do think that that's, if you're listening to this and you're thinking that, you know, you've been a fan of Jasmine forever and you're like, oh, but Jasmine, I have this opportunity that if I did this thing with Jasmine or she knows people, like you are accessible. If somebody took everything that you did and got your attention in a creative way, in a thoughtful way, in a meaningful way, and if the person that's trying to get your attention is really serious they can make that happen. And I believe that they can make that happen, but they have to believe that they can make it happen. It's not your job to figure that out. It's their job. So if you're listening to this and you see these people that you could do business with, how can you get creative about getting their attention, seeing what they're doing, not being a weird stalker, but like being thoughtful about it and being intentional about it. But anybody is accessible to people these days due to social media. So when you meet somebody on floor 37... And you're going down and somebody says, Natalie, what do you do? What is your elevator pitch? That's about less than two minutes. Yes. So I tell people that I help business owners achieve their personal, professional, and financial goals. And then normally they ask how, and we'll say, we invest capital in them. We have an events component. Like, you know, you get into the nitty gritty, but my like 15 seconds is we help business owners grow and scale their businesses and help them achieve their goals. So you make an investment in the business for equity and then you deploy your resources to help them scale or figure out where they're stuck. Yeah. And we don't always have to deploy capital for them. They can come to an event. We have actually, that's what's happening outside. There's like people, there's 
people in our office right now because we're doing an event. We have managed consulting services so they could hire us to help them recruit for them or do their financials. But there's different ways that they can connect with us. But our sole purpose is any businesses out there that the owners, like I want to achieve something that I haven't achieved. We want to help them understand what might be broken in their business or what could be fixed in their business or optimized to help them achieve the growth. And normally it it comes down to people. It's what we're talking about right now. It's hiring people. It's training those people. It's aligning those people to what the business owner is trying to do, but maybe hasn't been able to fully communicate with their teams. Okay. So before we push record, I had said the conversation goes where the conversation goes. I'm like a firm believer that we're being guided to it. I feel like I just want to state how appreciative I am that I ask very personal questions. And oftentimes, Natalie, they come out and after they're out in the ether, I'm like, was that a little personal? Uh, either way, I just want to acknowledge that you sharing openness openly and generously about like very high level business and then very, very deep personal things. I just want to say thank you for that. And then as a side note, you do something interesting to get attention for somebody. Has anybody ever done something interesting to get your attention, perhaps through the hiring process? Was there something that somebody did? They're like, this is different and I like it. Hmm. You know, that there should not saying that there should. I just thought, has anybody ever sent you like the proverbial floaty and golf cart? Now that you say that, no. Oh, ladies and gentlemen, if you, if you, if Natalie is looking to hire, y'all do some homework and then find out what her uh, floaties are and surprise her. Surprise and delight. I love that. I love that. Because okay. yeah, those things are totally out there. Really just send me flowers. I love flowers. Flowers. If you send me flowers, you have my attention. Period. What's your favorite flower, Natalie? What's your favorite flower? I love these orchids. Somebody just sent me these yesterday. Look at this. This is ridiculous. Oh, Stunning. Yeah. They're wanting a donation. They're going to get a donation because they're flowers. <laughs> I love this. So I love this. I love Not this. Not even that hard. Uh, speaking of speaking of getting these amazing gifts and, and a donation, you had said on an Instagram post that collaboration is a new currency. So I would like to elaborate on this topic, you know, just to kind of put like a nice closure around this, because sometimes people listen and they're not in the space to be hiring, but they really want to expand. And I really like this idea of if your perspective on collaboration. Yeah. What you and I are doing right now is collaboration. Yeah. How can you find people who are interested in the same cool things that you're interested in, in your business or your team, or as your role as an employee? And communicate with them and create value for them so that you can exchange ideas and build your network, build your ability to raise money if that's what your business is looking for, your ability to have great new team members because people are talking about the fact that you are growing. So collaborating is introducing yourself and figuring out, man, what is the thing that I could offer to Jasmine or what is the thing that I could offer to Joe down the street that would make him interested enough to have this conversation with me? And it is never been easier than it is right now. You could stalk somebody on social media, which is what I did with Grant and Elena for months, but you could do it in a couple of days. You could stalk somebody and understand the the little tiny things that they are interested in to increase your chances of a real communication that ends up in a collaboration that could take your business to the next level. We would not be where we're at without the collaboration with Grant and Elena. You don't have to do things on your own. You shouldn't do things on your own. There's too many great people that are able and willing and want to have other great people to do things with. So go connect with those people and figure out creatively what that could look like. Mm. 
So oftentimes when I talk to others on behalf of team building and leadership, a question that comes up because people do see that I work with my husband, but I feel like it, and I heard that you, you know, you work with Brandon and those are kind of siloed. They're not for everybody. They're for some people. I don't really have a framework on it, but a question I do get a lot of is, do you hire friends and family? And I know that you do. So what's your belief around it? And what have you learned from that? Like, how can people get better if they do decide to work with friends and family? Yes. Uh, so I work with my brother. I work with my husband's brother. And then I obviously work with my husband. And fun fact, 84% of businesses in the small to mid-sized business space in the United States, 84% of them are family businesses. So this is a real thing. And my perspective on this is being super crystal clear And when I say clear, it's like a document. It's not a conversation. Clarity does not come through conversation. Clarity comes through documentation. Being clear on what the expectations are. Mm. Hey, I'm hiring you in this role, or I want to work with you in this capacity. This is what I would expect of this role. And if you fill this role, then this is what I would expect of you. Let's have the conversation of if you're willing to do this, because you're prioritizing your business first, not the relationship first. The business, the role that everybody is in, they have to fulfill that. And more times than not, people just get into trouble because they don't want to have that hard conversation and document the hard conversation on the front end. So feelings get hurt when it would have been totally solved if you would be able to sit down and look at somebody and say, I make these decisions. You make these decisions. When we do not agree, I am the person that is going to call the the tiebreaker. Like that's, that's in my purview. And I need you to support those decisions, even if in the moment you might not feel like supporting it. If you tell somebody that on the front end, when it's happening, it takes the sting out of the situation and it removes that difficulty in really talking about hard things. So for somebody who's listening, they work with a family member and they didn't document it. And they're in that kind of like crux, that moment. What kind of advice would you give them if they don't have it documented? How do they then approach the situation? And then how do they learn from that? Yeah, I would take a piece of paper and I would put three columns in the paper. The first column would be my responsibilities. The last column would be the other person's responsibilities. And the middle column would be what are the challenge points? Because you're you're likely not valuing what they're good at when things are difficult and they might not be valuing what you're good at when things are difficult. So it's valuing what the two people bring to the table, what their strengths are that they should totally be responsible for and separating those great things that are working from the handful of things that are not working. And then you go through and confront the five things that aren't working and figure out whose column those things go in. And if you can do that and just keep doing that when issues come up, you're going to handle it. There's very few things that I believe aren't workable through communication and clarity like that. It just gets hard when people dodge it and talk to other people about it and create confusion. Mm. I couldn't think of a better way to end it. It's like all things are solvable. And as you work and build a team, family or not, you're building to buttress a culture, a belief and a vision. And I think you shared so generously on so many accounts. I know you have a powerful book, you have a podcast and for people who would like to creep on you on social media, where do we send people to? And for those of you who are watching or listening, would you please be able to tag us specifically in like when we share so much and we create, it feels good that other people are doing it alongside of us. So where do people go? How do they best connect with you? 
Well, I would love to offer a free copy of my book, Teamwork, which actually details the entire interview process. Let's go. So if they go to cardoneventures.com forward slash teamwork, give them full copy. It's interview questions. It's onboarding checklists. Really everything we talked about in the first half, it's the resources for and the steps in the process for all of those things. And then I met Natalie Dawson pretty much everywhere socially, TikTok, Instagram, YouTube, all the above. You are a gift. Just when I think that you couldn't serve anymore, you go and offer a free book, Hard Adventures forward slash teamwork. Thank you so, so, so much. It is an honor and a privilege to talk with brilliant, brilliant entrepreneurs and a fellow sojourner of the female species in the business world. Natalie, it is a pleasure. It is an honor and a privilege. And thank you again. Thank you for having me. 